around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Hello, friends. Pastor David Langford here today. Today is Tuesday, May the 11th, 2021. We'd like to welcome you to the Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. I welcome you today in the name of Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, the Lord's Christ. He's deemed as the first fruits. Why? That is a down payment. That is an assurance that every blood-bought, born-again child of God will receive a glorified body in the resurrection. Hebrews 2.14, that through death, he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. One of the works of the devil was death. Jesus conquered death. Now, we still die. And that's because as Christ tarries, our lives have an expiration date on them. But when we die, the body is sown as a seed in the earth. Now, the body is asleep, Paul the Apostle said. We don't know anything. Our spirit, our soul has gone to be with the Lord. But the body, you know, you think about the majesty of God. Who but God could create and think of something of this magnitude. And then we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this body as a seed is planted into the earth. And what you plant when you plant a seed, whether it's a seed of corn, the seed of a green bean, okra, squash, watermelon, cantaloupe, what you put in that ground is not what comes up. Oh, it comes up as a stalk of corn if it's a corn seed. But that little seed has this gracious, magnificent body, the human body. goes back to the earth from whence it came. But as a redeemed person, it is sown, S-O-W-N. It is sown into the earth, and it comes up, and God gives it a body, Paul said, as it hath pleased him there in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it's verse 38. He giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, a glorified body, something that you and I cannot yet imagine. And to every seed, to every seed, his own body. Now, as you are sown, so will you be raised. Now, believers 
want to be raised in the, in the first resurrection and the newness of life. But the wicked dead are not resurrected for yet another thousand years, and they are resurrected unto eternal damnation. What a vast, voluminous difference. What a big difference. So we're going to be sown in corruption, still a ruinous, decaying body, but it's going to be raised incorrupted, raised incorruptible, raised immortal. That ought to make you want to serve God all by itself. When you start magnifying your woes, you start magnifying your problems, the bigger you make your problems, the more discouraged you become. Some of you, all you do is magnify your problems. I'm not being ugly. I'm certainly not castigating you or criticizing you. But all you do is magnify the problem. And you've heard me say this. Whatever you magnify is going to get bigger. And if you keep magnifying your problems, you're ultimately going to allow that problem to totally usurp every part of your life. Don't do that. Don't allow that. I want to play an old, old song. Some of you know it. We used to sing it. I hadn't heard it sang in 25 years probably, but the song is entitled, It's a Highway to Heaven. That's the highway you want to travel because that highway in Christ will get you to eternal life. Amen. Lighter, walking up the king's highway. King's highway. There's joy in knowing with him I am going, walking up the king's highway. It's a highway to heaven. None can walk up there, but the pure in heart. It's a
Are you walking up that highway today? I pray that you are. I pray you're walking in the King's Highway. Amen. We left off yesterday here in the book of Acts chapter 9. I felt the need to extemporaneously speak to you about the early church. The early church. Just some things on my heart as I have been praying and rereading the book of Acts. We left off yesterday talking about Paul. How that God suffered, God allowed the layman Stephen to be killed, stoned to death, a great, great man of God, known as a martyr. Tertullian said, martyrdom, the shedding of blood, stoning, however the case might be, of the church, is the perpetual seed that keeps growing and birthing the church. Paul was an enemy of the cross initially. He, he wasn't aware, but he had great anger towards Jehovah God. As I said yesterday, when God spoke to the apostle Paul, previously as Saul, he didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why persecutest thou me? Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. So God takes it personally when the church is being persecuted because the church is his body. Paul, having authority to arrest those who were of this way, the Greek says, of the way, what was the way? What was this way? This way was the way of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Paul, a Pharisee, very religious man, I mean profoundly religious, had great hatred toward Christ, hated those who embraced Christ. And as I said yesterday, Religion always seeks to destroy that which God has touched and anointed. Religion is man's way, man's ideology, man's reasoning, man's even his understanding. When it's a religious way, it is terribly, terribly, terribly flawed. Satan found a way to hinder, to encroach the church. And that's by bringing religion, do's and don'ts and this and that and this way, that way, your way, my way, his way, their way, the denomination, the organization, the institution. The way of salvation is very simple. Very, very simple. And so this religious man, the Apostle Paul, I know that's a, a dichotomy, Saul and Paul, interchangeable because his name was changed. 
but he thinks he's doing the will of God. How many people today think they're doing the will of God, but in retrospect, they're in direct opposition to God? Now, think about what I just said. They think they're doing the will of God, but in retrospect, they're in direct opposition to God, to God, to Christ. But they can't see it because they are engrossed, they are enamored with their religion. And let me tell you this, religion has a spirit, and it's not the Holy Spirit. It is not the Spirit of God. It is merely that it is a religious spirit. It is a religious spirit. And it seeks to have preeminence among the saints of God. This is why in Matthew 13, Jesus describes some as wheat, some as tares. The disciples said, well, let us go and pull up the tares. He said, nay, while you're pulling up tares, you pull up good wheat. You leave it alone, and I will gather, I will separate, I will divide, and my angels will do that at my second coming. First, he gathers the tares, he bundles them, he binds them, and he burns them. That is a picture of going to hell. That's a, that's a very vivid and clear picture without any misunderstanding, gathered, bun, bundled, and burned. The wheat, which John the Baptist prophesied, is gathered into the garner. Remember the words of John, Matthew 3, 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he it is who's coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge his floor, and he will gather the wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Do you, do you see the difference? The, the, the wheat is gathered into the garner. That's the good. That's the good seed. The tares is from the devil. They are gathered, bundled, and they are burned, exactly as John the Baptist preached. Isn't it amazing the, 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 the synchronicity in what John said in Matthew 3 and what Jesus said in Matthew 13? There's never... Uh, any separating of, of, of harmony. It's always harmonious. Why? It's the same Holy Ghost. It is the same word preaching the same message to those who seek to walk in the truth. And regrettably, denominations have divided the church. I know God has to be terribly upset at times how people allow a denomination, an institution, an organization to literally divide us and separate us. Well, you're not church of God, so you can't preach for us. You're not church of God. You can't come to our camp meeting. You're not Baptist. We don't want you. You're not Presbyterian. We don't want you. You're, you're, not, you're not a Methodist. We have nothing to do with you. This is crazy. But it goes on 24-7 in the church, the body of Christ. Religion is relentless and its attack upon the truth. Let me go on. As Saul was journeying, you know, he thinks he's right. Now listen to me. The, the Saul 
believes without any doubt, having no reservation. He believes emphatically he is absolutely correct and right in what he's doing. This, this, is, this should scare you. This should alarm you. There are those out there who are, are so denominationalized, they believe emphatically what they say, what they do is the utmost pure, unadulterated truth. But it's not biblical. It is not sound doctrine. Yet that's what they live by rather than being led by the Holy Ghost and abiding in the Word of God. So Saul, he's journeying, he's doing all of this stuff, witnessing Stephen being stoned. He's described as a young man, Saul. They laid their garments at his feet, this young man's feet being Saul. But he's going down the road of life, and he's journeying. He believes everything is hunky-dory. Everything's great. But suddenly, there shined round about him a light from heaven. And that light was so illuminous, so bright, so powerful, so radiant. The Bible said it shone about him. He fell to the earth. He fell to the earth. I thought about myself as a little boy, 12 years of age. That light, that bright light came in to my life and I closed my eyes and I covered my eyes with my hands and I bowed my face to the earth, to the dirt. And, I, and like Saul, I heard a voice. I saw no man, but I heard a voice. He fell to the earth and heard a voice. And what did the voice say? Psalms 29, 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is always full of authority. God's voice is never mistaken. I wonder who that is. I wonder what that is. Did y'all hear anything? Did, 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 did you hear something? What did you hear? The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. That majestic voice smote Saul on the road to Damascus. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why are you doing this to me? Now, Paul thought he was a, he was a religious man. He was a self-righteous man. As touching the law, he was a Pharisee. He believed he was a saint of God. He was a saint of God. He believed that. And yet Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because the church... The true church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and religion always persecutes true salvation. doesn't matter who it is, what it is. You know, I get letters from Seventh-day Adventists. We, you're preaching really good, but you're not there yet. We want to bring you a little further. If you'll just come with us, 
You're close, but you're not quite yet. The Church of Christ. You're close, Brother Langford, but you're not there yet. You need to join us. I think the Church of Christ was uh, established in 1917. Uh, Church of God was around 1886 originally. It was called the Holiness Church. United Pentecostal Church around 1943, I believe. You have all of these purported spiritual births of new denominations, new organizations, and they say, we're the real church. Wow, you're, you're a couple thousand years late, folks. Jesus takes it personally when you persecute a believer. When a believer is persecuted, Christ takes it personally. He didn't say, why are you uh, persecuting my church? Why are you terrorizing my church? Why are you abusing my church? He said, no, why are you persecuting me? That's personal. Very personal. I love Paul's response. Who art thou? Who are you? Who are you? Who art thou? Oh, wait a minute. Who art thou, comma, Lord? Who art thou, Lord? What happened? You see that magnificent, radiant light was so bright, so bright, so dynamic, so powerful, Paul innately knew who it was. Yet he says, who art thou, Lord? Question mark. Who are you, Lord? He knew who it was. But it was such a visitation, it, 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 uh, it shook the, 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 the mind of Saul to such a great degree. He was so overwhelmed by the light and the very presence and voice of God. Who art thou, Lord? He answered his own question. Lord of Lord, King of Kings. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You see, God is probing and pricking his conscience, and he does that with everyone. And when you resist and you go against that, it gets hard in your life. It gets difficult in your life because God is determined to try to save people, and yet they keep going the other way. I know what I'm talking about. I did it. I lived it. I, I, I lived it. It was a miserable, miserable, miserable life. I look back and I'm like, you, you are dumb as a box of rocks. Not only are you rebellious, but stubborn and bullheaded and hardheaded and not wanting to go. Fortunately, God did not do to me what he did to Saul. Now, he blinded him. How would you like to be living your life every day? Things are going pretty well. All of a sudden, you have an encounter with God, and now you suddenly become blind. You can't see nothing. That will get your attention. That will get your attention when you get blind. 
Some say it was the light. We see when Ananias prays for him, the Bible said it was as scales had been on his eyes. Now, you see, that was true physically and spiritually. When I read my Bible, I see things. I I don't want to sound arrogant. I see things many times that others just don't see. He had two sets of scales on his eyes, his spiritual eyes, his physical eyes. He couldn't see physically. But he already, before that, he had scales on his eyes, and they blinded him spiritually. You see, this is what religion does. It blinds you. Now, you may not want to admit the truth. You may be too proud and too pompous to say, yeah, I'm wrong. But when you get away from religion, you get away from organized religion, and you get into the presence of God, your life will change drastically from the organization, the denomination that you are attached to. See, I can say that because I was third-generation Church of God. We used to sing a song when, when people would join the church, and the little chorus was, the church of God is right, hallelujah to the Lamb. How pompous is that? And the Methodists, they think the same thing. The Baptists think the same thing. The Assemblies of God, they think the same thing, that they're, they're the ones that got it. Man, the older I get, the more I realize how proud and arrogant religion is. It's Religion is absolutely devastating. My God, look at what they did to Jesus, and they did it all in the name purportedly of the God of Abraham. Crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, a murderous thug. That's who we want. Folks, they believed they were right. Hebrews 10, 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Do we really have fear of God anymore? Do we realize the magnitude of how great, majestic God is, and then we want to shove our religion in his face and say, no, God, this is the way it must be. Saul, trembling and astonished. That, needs, that trembling part needs to come back to the church. I said that trembling part needs to come back to the church. There's no trembling in the church. It's lattes and, and, and coffee and donuts and, and let's just have a good time at church. No, where's the trembling? Where's the trembling that's supposed to be in the church, the body of Christ? Trembling and astonished. Trembling and astonished. We're told in Philippians 2 and 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That, and when he said work your salvation, work out your salvation, you're not working it out and you're going to choose this way, that way, this way. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. No, 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 no. He said, when you said work it out, you get with God and let God work on you and he'll work 
through you, in you, and it'll come out of you, fear and trembling. That's what will come out of you. Proverb 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Think about this. Christ for three and one half years taught any and everyone. He was the word manifest in the flesh. He taught everyone. But they didn't believe he was the Christ. John 1, 11, he came unto his own. His own received him not. They, they spurned him and they rejected him. Yet he was the pure, unadulterated truth. But religion said, you can't be right can't be right. Think of, think of Saul. He, he truly believes what he's doing is right. But he's not right. And when that fear and that trembling and that astonishment came into his life, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? How many of us are praying God's will in our lives. I'm, I mean God's pure, unadulterated will. Whatever God wills, whatever God wants. I, I, I've really been praying lately, and I've said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I said, I haven't stepped out on a limb. I said, God, if you want me to start another church, I'll start another church in Hickory, North Carolina. But God, you're going to have to open up a door. You're going to have to do something that I cannot do. But I, I will do anything that God wants me to do because I'm a servant. Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. Paul, a servant. Every one of us are to be servants and serve the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to serve him. And, I, and I've been praying, God, I'll do whatever. It doesn't matter. Lord, all that matters is that I serve you wholeheartedly and I follow your will, I follow your way. And I keep reminding him of Exodus 33, show me thy way. Show me the way, Lord. I'm a simple man. K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. That's who I am. Keep it simple. Don't, don't convolute. Don't twist it. Don't, don't put this slant on it or that slant or that shade or that shade. Just, just let's be straight. Let's just be straight. Paul, blind. Light is so bright. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now suddenly Paul has to start walking by faith, and he's totally blind. Can you imagine, Paul? God speaks. God leaves. The Bible said the men around him stood speechless, heard a voice, but they saw no man. I'm sure Paul said, what in the world just happened? What what in God's name has just happened to me? All this time, remember, his head, his eyes, his face is down to the earth. And when Saul arose from the earth and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Couldn't see. There were scales. He was blind. Again, 
Look at that blindness also in a spiritual application. He was spiritually blind, but he believed he saw everything, and what he saw he believed was right and correct, but what he saw was wrong. Some said Paul probably never fully forgave himself. I believe he did. Had he, had he not forgiven himself, he couldn't have penned. He couldn't have written some of the things he wrote. He couldn't have said some of the things he said. Now, he admitted he was the chief of sinners. He did it ignorantly. Can I tell you some people are just that? They're ignorant? Not saying they're not saved, but they're ignorant to the greater truth and depths of God's word. He rose from the earth. His eyes were open. Now, that doesn't mean they were open where he could see physically. His eyelids, you might say, that's, as I said, when I had my encounter with God at 12 years of age, my eyes were closed, my hands were over my eyes, and my, my head was bowed down in the dirt of the earth. Are you saying you're like Paul? Absolutely not. I'm just saying the things I read here are exactly what happened to me when I was a little boy, 12 years of age. His eyes were opened. He couldn't see, but his eyelids were open now. But they had to take him by the hand, and now they had to lead him. <laughs> you talk about a pompous guy running around, having people arrested, consenting to their death. I mean, it was unbelievable what, what Saul was doing. My Lord, yet he found forgiveness in the eyes of God. Now, let me show you. We got Stephen has been martyred and killed. God is dealing with a religious bigot, Saul, gives him an on-the-road to Damascus conversion, and now we've got another man named Ananias that God has got to deal with to deal with the apostle Paul. I should say Saul. He's still Saul. <laughs> and so now Ananias has a vision. God's talking to him. He says to Ananias, Ananias says, I'm here. Same way Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Eli told Samuel after the third time, he said, Tell Lord, just say, Lord, here am I. Ananias says, Behold, I'm here. God says to Ananias, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Isn't that beautiful? Now you got a man who's quit killing, murdering, arresting, dragging people back to Jerusalem because they're mere Christians. Now the man is blind and he's praying. I suppose having been blinded by that, that magnificent light, he was in the perpetual spirit of prayer. And while he's praying, now, I know this is going to upset some of you. He was saved. 
He's praying. He's communing with God. And the next thing he has is a vision. Now, I know some will say, well, he, he, he hadn't done this yet. He hadn't done that yet. He, had, he hadn't jumped through this hoop. You, you miss so much of God because you're religious. He gave him a vision, and he says to Saul, a man named Ananias is coming in. He'll put his hand on you, and you're going to receive your sight. Ananias, <laughs> you know, this is, this is a God-fearing man. He says, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. Sometimes, when God deals with us, we, we, we don't want him to deal with us because he's going to change something about us. We, 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 we don't want to we, 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 we don't, we don't change. God's trying to change us. God is trying to redirect us. God is trying to steer us a particular way. That's why I'm, I'm pleading relentlessly with God. God, just show me the way, show me the way, show me the way, show me the way. Ananias, rightfully so, was afraid of this religious man. How much evil he hath done to the saints. And you want me to go pray for this man? You want me to love this man? Oh, whoa. You can't be serious, Lord. You, you, you just can't be serious about me going, laying my hands on this man and me loving this man. And I know all the evil things he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. Ananias reminds God, he says, hey, Lord, this man hath authority from the, chief, from the chief priest to bind all that call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what upsets religious people. The Lord said, go thy way. He's a chosen vessel unto me. Now, you see, that just makes religious people cringe. Had, had, had Ananias been a religious man, he would have said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, God? You really want me to go lay my hands on this man and love this man? God said, it doesn't matter. Of course, Ananias didn't say I'm not going, but he, he did remind the Lord. He said, hey, I've heard about this man. This is an evil man, and he does evil to the saints of God. But God says to Ananias, he is a chosen 
vessel. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles and before kings and the children of Israel. And here's the thing that most people don't understand and don't willfully embrace. But God says to Ananias, he said, Ananias, I'm going to show Saul how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Can I pause here for a moment? You might say Paul reaped what he sowed. He caused other people's lives to suffer terribly in such a heinous, evil way. Paul calls them to suffer, and God says, Saul, you're going to suffer. He didn't suffer like he caused the saints to suffer. He suffered ridicule, imprisonment, beatings, shipwreck, you name it. Why? Because he was preaching the gospel. God transformed his life, and now his whole life becomes a life of suffering. God touched Ananias. I love I love what the Bible says. Obviously, the vision concludes. Ananias goes his way. He finds the house. He enters into the house. And he put his hands on Saul and he said, watch this, Brother Saul. See that affection? See that love? Brother Saul. Why? He was a part, Saul now is a part of the body of Christ. Paul, Saul has been joined to the church, the body of Christ. And Ananias recognizes that, and he wasn't skittish. He wasn't standoffish. He wholly embraced him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, that appeared unto thee. See, God conveyed all of this to Ananias. You remember three, four days ago when you were smitten on the road to Damascus? God has appeared unto me, and he sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul's converted. He's praying. He's crying out to God. He's blind. But he needs two things now in his life. He needs the scales to be removed. He needs to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now, I know there'll be those who will disagree with me here, but it doesn't say anything about water baptism. When, when Ananias laid his hands on Saul, it says, immediately there fell from his eyes as though it had been scales, scales on his eyes. He received sight. He arose and was baptized. Now, there'll be those who say he's baptized in water. It doesn't say that. He was baptized in the Holy Ghost. You say, well, I disagree with that. Well, you show me where he's baptized in water. But the Bible said, Ananias, God says to Ananias, 
lay hands on him, the scales are going to fall off, he's going to receive his sight, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, there's this great conversion. And suddenly Paul becomes a preacher of Jesus Christ. Where just days before, he's consenting to Stephen's murder. He's arresting both men and women, slaughtering, threatening, and slaughtering the disciples of the Lord. That's a violent man. But he grew quickly, quickly, quickly. Now, I don't want to get into the chronology of, of Paul's life right here, but and he spent two to three years in the Arabian desert. God just flooded the man with revelation knowledge, just more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Paul comes to Jerusalem, and that's, that's where the Holy Ghost was outpoured. The first outpouring was in Jerusalem. Paul has still retains an evil reputation. The Bible says they were all afraid of him, and they didn't believe he was a disciple of Jesus. Now, that's, th this, is, this is what happens when you become so religious and you carry this name, this reputation. And again, Paul believes he's right but he's totally, totally wrong. He turned 180 degrees from who he was to what he became for Jesus. Now, Barnabas enters into Paul's life. Of course, they separate over John Mark. Won't get into all of that, but they separated. There's a, a contention. You believe that? There was some contention between Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled men? Yeah. Paul felt like John Mark was immature. For better lack of terms, I'll call him a crybaby. Barnabas took up for John Mark. Paul says, you go your way, I'm going my way. In the end, in 2 Timothy 4, as Paul is penning this epistle, he tells Timothy, bring John Mark. He's now profitable unto me. Things changed. Mark grew. At the time, Paul says he's going to be a, an impediment because he's not mature enough. Later on, years down the road, bring him now. He's profitable to me. Barnabas says, hey, this man has seen the right way, the truth, and the life, and he preaches boldly Jesus Christ. And I want to conclude today with this verse 31, Acts 9, 31, Paul, well, I should say Peter, this statement says, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Paul or Peter or uh, Luke, the physician, writing it, penning it actually, says, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. 
Now, this is, this is what began to envelop the church. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. The church, his body was being edified and walking in the fear of God. And as they were edified and they walked in the fear of God and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, it means they were being replenished with the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Holy Spirit kept reviving, restoring, filling their cups, pouring out copious amounts of the Spirit of God in their lives. So as they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, meaning they were being replenished with the Holy Spirit of God. And of course, the church was multiplied. This is, this is why we're never going to see what we need to see in the modern church until the church gets full of the Holy Ghost and power. You're, you're not going to see it, but, but it's coming because God said, I'm going to pour out of my spirit. I'm, I'm going to pour out of my spirit. There's going to be such a dynamic move of God. I will pour out of my spirit, Acts 2.17. It shall come to pass in the last day, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit. This is going to be edification for the church and going to be the replenishing of the church. And we're going to see souls saved in that time frame, in that era, in that dispensation. You're going to see a, a, a move of God. Personally, I believe we're getting very, very close to spontaneous moves of God as we've never seen before in our lives, all of us. We had, a, we had a great move of God in the 80s. I know I was an evangelist for half of that decade, over half of that decade, I was an evangelist. I, some of you may not believe this, but I've preached as much as four weeks, a whole month revival in churches and there were some dynamic moves of God. Jimmy Swaggart was evangelizing the world. But the church, like always, can't handle prosperity, gets off track, things begin to happen. Then, then, then something has to fill the void. When the Holy Ghost is not having the preeminence, things seek away into the church, era, religion, bigots, whatever, they, 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 the devil seeks to find a way into the church to fill the void, the vacuum, when the Holy Ghost is not filling it. And this is when we begin to see all kinds of stupid stuff. I mean, stupid stuff. The, 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 the church, that's not the right, that's not the right phrase. Religious people always go from one extreme to the other. They go from one extreme to the other. You know, the, you, got the, you got the time, the do's and the don'ts. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't go here. You can't go there. You can't say this. You can't say that. Then they flip over. Now we can drink liquor. Now we can drink martinis. Now we can smoke pot. Where is the middle of the road, for God's sake? Look, look at the garbage. 
I shared with you weeks ago about the girl who says she's a Christian. She prays. She prays for her followers. But she poses nude on the Internet and makes $2.5 million a year. And she says she's a Christian, and she prays for those who support her. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? My God, when Adam and Eve sinned, God clothed them. And this young lady walks around naked, shooting videos, and saying, all in the name of Jesus Christ. And she prays for her watchers, listeners, and those who give to her her life. Two and a half million dollars a year. And she says she's a Christian. You see, how, you see how it's just as bad to go to that extreme as it is to be a religious fanatic over here. It's like, why can't people get in the path of righteousness and just stay there? Oh, brother, you got to do this. You see that, that mentality, that mentation of works creeps in. You got to do this. You got to do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. This is the formula. This is the method. This is the means. You have to do this. You have to do that. And all these people who write me and send me letters and send me videos, we're the real church. No, we're the real church. You know, it's what was that program years ago? Uh, Truth or consequences? Will the real so and so stand up? <laughs> this is religion. And slowly but surely, it always finds a way in the church. And because it's novelty, because it's new, oh, this is it. This We've arrived. This is it. Let me tell you when you've arrived. When you love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And your love is not based on what you're doing. Your love is based on what he did on the cross. That, that, that's it. That's, that's the totality of it. Then you can say, I have arrived because I know I have the fullness of life. I have the abundant life because of his life being sacrificed on Calvary. Now I have abundant life. You know, I don't know how it'll be in the glorified bodies in the millennial reign and kingdom of Christ, but don't be surprised if a lot of people aren't repenting and saying, God, I'm sorry, I was ignorant, I was stupid, I was religious, please forgive me for all of that. You talk about contrition and contrite, you know, just, just having gotten into the kingdom, and, and I've said it and I'll say it till I die, how God uses flawed men to preach a perfect gospel. And we see all of the, the little trappings and the little strappings and the cotton candy here and this over there. And, and people run here, people run there. I've seen that somebody sent me a video uh, in the uh, Elevation Church. Had a huge sliding board and had a swimming pool and they were sliding off the sliding board into the pool and they said, that's your baptism. <laughs> God help us. Zip line. Zip line in church. Rod Parsley on a zip line. I mean, this stuff is crazy. See, that's entertainment, folks. God is not into entertaining. When God, through Jesus Christ, approached Saul, there was this sudden explosion of light around the apostle, or I should say Saul. He wasn't an apostle yet. But two things happened, trembling and and astonishment. When you see trembling, 
astonishment, amazement returned to the church. You know, we're in revival. We're in revival. I'm looking for that. That's going to return. That's going to return. And I desire and I pray at your heart and your desire to be a part of this great, this great move of God. It's coming, folks. Sadly, there'll be distortion, there'll be persecution, there'll be chaos, there'll be calamity. But the move of God is coming. The move of God is coming. There, you might say there was a time during this part of the early church, they had some rest, some peace, and some comfort. God's getting ready to move. God's getting ready to move, and I pray that you'll be a part of that great, powerful, and dynamic move of the Spirit of God. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your love, your prayers, and your support. Thank you for blessing the ministry and helping us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And may God bless you. May he keep you. And may he forever order your steps in his most holy word here in these last days. I'll see you next week in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.